Hey everyone, it is late at night, and I am Norman, and welcome to the sixth episode of the Late Night Watch Talk podcast. It is raining outside tonight. I'm not sure if you can hear it. Right now it's kind of died down, but earlier it was raining pretty hard, so you might get a little bit of ambient sound during this podcast. Uh, Lots of stuff happening this week. Craziness. So I'm going to go over some of that, and I have a couple different topics to go over, and tonight we're going to be exploring the Longines Heritage Classic Collection. So I'm going to be pulling up their website, and we'll be browsing through the different watches that we encounter there, and we'll talk about each one. First off, what am I wearing on my wrist? I have a vintage Vostok that arrived in the mail just today. And this thing is absolutely amazing looking. It has a cushion case, which is really exciting. This is the only watch I've ever owned that actually has a cushion case. And it looks absolutely brilliant. I'm pretty sure it's going to be quite the scratch magnet though, because that is a lot of chrome sticking out in the corners of the watch there. It has a silver dial, but the dial is kind of yellowed a bit. This is also the only watch that I own that appears to have its original dial still. So there's what appears to be moisture staining uh, on the side near the crown. That's why I'm guessing it may be moisture that kind of got in there at the crown position. And there's a couple other little marks on the dial as well. The hands look pretty original also because they have... um, some discoloration on them, but so far it's keeping excellent time. Let me check my phone and see. Yeah, it is still within the minute. Uh, Granted, it's only been about five hours or something since I set it, but it's performing pretty well so far. It is a little bit scary setting the time on it though. When you pull out the crown and you're moving the hands, it moves so easily. It's almost like if you blew on the crown, the hands would move. It's that easy. So that's a little bit terrifying, but so far it's performing really well. The case is 36 millimeters, but being a cushion case, it definitely wears pretty large. Uh, Probably at least 40 or about 40. The hands are stick hands and they're gold toned and it has 18 millimeter lugs. So I still have it on the cheap leather strap that it came on, but it looks great. I may put on a shell cordovan and we'll see how it looks on that. The dial has a cool, um, really subtle sunburst effect on it. Uh, In some lights, that makes it pretty difficult to read. So because it that dial plays with the light so much that the indices and the hands kind of get lost. Uh, but the it has batten markers all the way around. On the 9 and the 3, they're double markers. And at the 12 and the 6, it's a, they're numeral markers. And the font that was used on here is really, really fun. It's super Jetson, Space Age looking. And it is just amazing. So far, I'm really enjoying this piece. And uh, it was pretty affordable, like a lot of Russian watches that you find on eBay. 
So I'm going to open up this podcast with an interesting discussion because the other day I was kind of pondering the fact that there are a lot of really strange watches that I actually like and it makes really no sense that I like them given my usual taste in watches. So I kind of put together a list of some of these watches and I'm going to go through that tonight. The first watch on this list is the Movado Museum. And these are kind of, I I honestly don't know a ton about the brand, except that uh, they don't hold their value very well. I see a lot of them going for about 200 bucks on eBay. Sometimes I'll see a little bit more. There'll be a three and a five uh, pop in there here and there. But this is less than half of what they retail for, as far as I know. And I believe they're kind of fashion-y watches, but for some reason, they intrigue me. And uh, just the other day, I saw one come through on eBay. It was listed as being brand new, and the starting bid was $130. And so I decided I would put a bid out there and just see what happens. So I bid on it and waited and it had a couple days left on the auction and no one else bid on it. So this is a highly sought after piece. Uh, So I ended up getting it for $130 for what is listed as a brand new Movado with box and papers. This is the 38 millimeter uh, model. It has zero indices or anything on it, just the Movado circle at 12 o'clock. It's a black dial with a silver case, and it doesn't ship on a bracelet. This one is on a leather strap, so I'm actually pretty excited to see it. I've really never experienced a Movado in person, so it's going to be interesting to see one, and we'll see If I actually like it, um, who knows? It might actually get some wrist time. I think the 38 might be a bit large for me. I know this is going to wear pretty big, although this one does have kind of a bezel to it. The crystal doesn't go right up to the edge like uh, Bauhaus watches would, like a Shova or something. So that might help reduce the appearance of a larger size. However, it's only seven millimeters thick, so I'm wondering if that thinness isn't going to make it wear pretty large. I think they also have flat crystals on them, which is also going to kind of exaggerate its size, but we'll see what happens. That's the first watch. The second item that I have on my list is basically a bunch of watches. And bear in mind that this list isn't a negative on these watches. It's just strange that I personally like them because my taste is generally uh, mid-century style, really classy and dressy, and smaller sized watches. But the next item on my list are Casio digital watches. And these are pieces that would make perfect sense a few years ago when I was on the hunt for anything really sci-fi looking. My goal was to collect watches that exuded retrofuturism. They looked like something out of an old school sci-fi movie. And these watches fit right in with that. But nowadays, it's really strange that I still like them. Especially stuff like the Casio A700, which I recently purchased and I've mentioned in the past. 
That piece looks just phenomenal. And another Casio will get brought up later in this podcast in a completely different discussion. But I have a soft spot for uh, retro digital watches. You know, the F91, just pieces that bring me back to the 1980s. And I think that's why I still like them. Just sort of that nostalgia that they give you, uh, much like swatches. Just seeing them and wearing them brings you right back to, in my case, my childhood. And uh, so I have an F91. I have, I, I always forget the reference for it, but I have the Back to the Future calculator Casio. And I have the A700. And I love them all. The F91 and the calculator watch don't get a ton of wrist time, but every now and then I'll put them on and just enjoy them for a while. The A700 has gotten more wrist time than the other two, but with all of the craziness happening recently, it's probably going to be a while before that one leaves the shelf because I'm going to be quite busy with other pieces, as you will be finding out tonight. The next item on my list is an interesting one because I've actually owned one in the past and sold it, but I still love them. Anytime that they come through on a social media feed, they catch my eye and I have to just stare at them a little bit. And that watch is the Marathon GSAR. They just look so cool. There's a really unique look to them. Um, And... They're really thick watches, but they're tanks. They are just, they feel like they're indestructible. And this was also the first time that I encountered Tritium Loom in person. And it's so amazing, especially when the watch is brand new. It is bright. You'll hear people say that it doesn't compare to a standard Loom as far as brightness goes. But when the watch is new, that tritium is pretty dang bright. If you hold your watch near a wall, it'll illuminate the wall. And given how fast standard loom fades, uh, the tritium wins, even if it's a bit dimmer. Because as you are probably familiar with what tritium is, it uses a radioactive substance to illuminate um, a paint inside a tube and so it has a half-life of what is it uh, 20 years or 40 years or something like that so your watch is going to be glowing non-stop whether it's fed light or not for like a decade or more and then it'll start to fade Uh, actually it might fade during that Um, I haven't totally studied the topic I read a little bit on it but it's been a couple years now But it's really cool because that loom is always on for you. So if you wear that watch like I did, I took it camping. That was my camping watch. And so as we're sitting around the fire, I need to make sure that uh, we aren't coming up on 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning because I do not like going to sleep when the sun starts coming up. And I want to be functional sometime before noon the next day. So I actually do check the time while I'm camping way late at night. And that watch was super helpful because sitting around a campfire, the loom is still charged. Of course, sitting around a campfire, you could just tilt your watch and read it. But nevertheless, it's really cool having loom that is always charged up. But that watch is just amazingly tough. The water resistance is, it's basically a dive watch. Uh, It has a dive bezel on it. It's just an absolutely brilliant watch. 
but it didn't really get wrist time. It sat in the box all the time. And I've told the story before, but that was right around the time that I was transitioning into a love of dress watches. So that watch had to go. It went to a home where hopefully it's getting much more use than I was giving it. The next item on my list is another one that I've discussed in the past, and that's Projects Watches. And I guess this one isn't entirely strange that I like them, but they definitely aren't watches that are my kind of everyday wear watch or watches that I pick up very often. But they're fun and artsy, and if you know me, I love fun artsy things. Their designs are so unique and creative and fun. I just love them. So that is on this list as well. I own one of them and I'm pretty sure in the future I'll probably be owning more. Who knows? We'll see. But the one that I do own is absolutely amazing. The case is a bit thick, which I don't really understand unless maybe it's because uh, the maybe it's because the hands. I'm not sure. Um, the hour indice is a clear um, disc and then there's a standard hand for the minutes hand and then there's also a seconds hand and I think the hands are kind of spaced out so I'm not sure if it's that disc where they decided to give the hands plenty of room but I think that's where the thickness in the case comes from because it's a quartz watch so it's definitely not the movement and it's not terribly water resistant either so that isn't it but other than that, it's a really cool looking watch. It's under 40 millimeters, which is very interesting for watches like this. Usually they will be at least 40 millimeters, probably larger. But I found this one and it was smaller. I think, I don't recall, it might even be 36 or 37, somewhere around there. It's a good size, but it's kind of thick. And that small size exaggerates that thickness a bit. But their watches are just fun. If you haven't seen them, definitely check them out. They're super cool. And just the amazing variety. Some are so abstract you can barely tell the time. They're just fun. The next item on my list is another sci-fi watch. And that is the Jujaro, the Ripley watch. I absolutely love these watches. But... They aren't watches that I would really buy, especially given how expensive they are. I mean, they're, they're cool, they're iconic, they're the Ripley watch, but man, the prices that they go for, for a piece that's probably going to be sitting on my shelf an awful lot, um, it's strange that I'm that obsessed with them. If their prices were much more reasonable, I would probably go for one, but until either there's another reissue. I know, was it a couple years ago, there was a reissue of that watch, and I just missed it. Um, when they did the reissue, I actually wasn't familiar with the watch. I didn't even notice it in the movies. But then again, I hadn't seen them after becoming a full-blown watch nerd. Otherwise, I probably would have noticed them. But I missed the reissue. They had all sold out by the time I was familiar with these watches and interested in them. And now they go for, if they're the, the uh, silver cased ones or, you know, the brushed metal ones that aren't 
the dark, the black PVD or gunmetal y color, they go for over a grand. I think around 1500 if I remember correctly, is what I usually see them going for, but they are not cheap. I, I love the bracelets on them, though. I remember about a year ago, I think it was, I went hunting on eBay trying to find uh, those bracelets on their own so that I could maybe put them on a different watch. Although I didn't know what their size was, I still don't. I'm not sure what the lug uh, distance is, or what the lug width on those is. It might be an odd size. I'll have to look that up sometime. But those bracelets are just amazing looking. But for that price, I it's weird that I love them. The last item on my list is the A11, which I've read just a little bit about. And this is the watch that won the war. It's a small field watch. I think it's 32 millimeters. And I've seen a couple of them in, uh, I think, the article that I encountered about them. That was when I first heard about them. I read some article on them. And there were some photographs of the watch, and it looked amazing. So I created an eBay search for them, and every now and then they come through. But I haven't gone for one, mainly just because I'm kind of uh, kind of broke. So I've been looking at watches that are closer to, you know, 100 bucks, 200 bucks. So I'm looking at like vintage pieces that aren't really uh, in demand. But these look really cool. That size would be really interesting to see in person because that is itty bitty. The smallest pieces that I have are 34. And I feel like those are definitely on the small edge of what I'm comfortable with. But it would be interesting to see a 32 because that was actually a popular, that was a size that men wore at one point in time. That's just wild and crazy to me. I have seen some interesting ones come through on eBay where apparently a guy takes their cases and dials and stuff and converts them to digital watches, which is actually kind of intriguing being that they're vintage. By doing that, they would function like a brand new watch. And I was going to go for one because their prices were really low. And then I realized, oh, that's because it's the starting bid. And I haven't actually followed one of the auctions to see what they end up really going for. Maybe in the future I'll do that and see what uh, the demand is for those. But that might, if, it, if it's cheap, that might be an interesting way to get one of these in person and experience uh, a Franken A11, but they're pretty cool looking. The dials are just, you know, a field watch dial and they look vintage and beautiful. It's funny though, the crowns look gigantic on them because they're so tiny. But that is the list of watches that are strange that I like because it makes no sense that I like them. Okay, so I have some Everest updates for you all. Uh, last time I spoke, I believe I mentioned that I found a smudge on the inside of the crystal, and I had reached out to TikTok Watch Repairs, and they had given me a great quote on taking care of that. And I later on was going to have them, or contacted them, to have them try and put the uh, clasp that I purchased from Straps Co. on there. So I sent it off, and I heard back from them, 
and they, you know, confirm that the the screw holes do not match, which I already knew because I tried that, and I actually messaged them about that. But another thing that they uncovered is that it really actually doesn't fit the bracelet. I thought it did because it seemed to fit in there pretty well, but apparently I didn't inspect it terribly closely, but there's apparently a gap where it fits into the bracelet and they recommended not going with that. So, plus it would be 50 bucks to have them install it, and so I told them to just, you know, forget about that idea, and we'll just clean the smudge that's on the inside of the crystal, and if they wouldn't mind, try and bend the hook on my existing clasp, just to make it more difficult to unlatch it, and they agreed to do that. I think they charged like 10 bucks to do that just for some manual labor time. I decided that what I would do is reach out to Straps Co. and see if I could do an exchange because on their site I found an oyster style bracelet with that same glide lock clasp and it's actually about the same price. So I reached out to them and initiated an exchange and they approved it. So as soon as the Everest arrives, I'll be sending the clasp back in, and when they receive it, they'll send me the bracelet, and we'll see how that works out on the Everest. What's crazy is they're already done with it, and they're sending it back to me. It's in the mail, so I think in a few days it should show up. So I'm pretty excited to have the Everest back, and this time with a spotless crystal, because it's so crazy glancing at your watch and it looks dirty. So you go to clean it, and if you don't realize that the smudge is on the inside, you're just constantly glancing down and wondering why it keeps on getting smudged up. Whereas most watches, you know, don't get smudged quite that frequently. But yeah, every time I glanced down, the crystal looked dirty. And it was kind of driving me crazy until I realized what the actual problem was. And I'm still planning on having a guest in the future. But uh, because I don't have the Everest with me, I'm going to hold off until it returns. So I don't have an exact ETA anymore. I was going to shoot for this episode or the next one. But just know that in an upcoming episode, I will have my friend who has uh, the Rolex Explorer. We're going to get together and discuss the Everest and the Explorer. One thing that crossed my mind this week is the D1 Milano. The other day I dug it out of the watch box because I was in the mood to wear it. But when I put it on my wrist, it looked gigantic. It looked bigger than it has any other time that I've worn it for some reason. Maybe I've been wearing smaller watches. I have been wearing the Max Bill and stuff, but it looked just huge. And it crossed my mind that I may have to let the D1 go. It, with it being so thin, I mean, 40 millimeters looks great on paper. But with that case design, it really exaggerates its size. That in the extreme taper on the bracelet makes it look gigantic. So I think it might have lived... Uh, it's life in my watch box, and it's maybe time for it to move on to an owner that'll give it more wrist time. I'm still pondering. It's not 100%, but I may be letting that one go. We'll see.
Another interesting turn of events is I was reminded of the Hamilton Ventura. It's been a long time since I've looked at or even pondered these watches. At one point, I was going to go for the mechanical ones, which are all big and modern looking. But the Venturas that I really love are, of course, duh, no surprise there given my uh, preferences, but I like the ones that are really space-age looking and mid-century-ish, and those are the quartz ones, which strangely enough have mineral crystals on them, even though they aren't that cheap. But I decided, you know, I haven't really looked for these on eBay at all. So I created a search for it, and they seem to retain their price better than I thought they would. So they aren't terribly cheap on eBay. They are below uh, retail. So at this point in time, I'm not going to be able to get one. But I may have to save and get one at some point this year, maybe. I've seen them in person, but I've never actually put one on the wrist. And it'd be really cool to see what it looks like to wear one. Uh, but I love the quartz ones with the cool, like, um, electric uh, current little design across the middle. I don't even know what that thing's called. It's shaped almost like a waveform in a way, but it's like a, a symbol from, I think it's a symbol from, like, um, diagrams, like electronic diagrams. But it's super cool. And the indices are totally Jetsons, Space Age. And of course, the watch itself is something straight out of like old school sci-fi. And uh, who knows, at some point I may have to try a Ventura. Ooh, I also encountered the first Mecha Quartz watch I've ever seen in person. But sadly, the battery in it needs replaced. This piece was not sent by David Schwartz, but he put me on a list. So the company that creates it, and when I get the battery back, I'll discuss it in great detail, including the brand and everything. But uh, he put me on the list uh, amongst the other reviewers. So once I ship that back to him, because the, the brand knows David Schwartz and trusts him um, and his whoever he'll have uh, changed the battery. Uh, so I'll send it back to him, get that battery changed, and when it comes back, I'll announce the brand and the model, and we'll talk about that watch. Until then, it will be a surprise. But this watch looks pretty crazy, and it'll be interesting to experience a Mecha Quartz. It's a chronograph, so I'm yeah, it'll be really cool. Also, I've just received three watches from a friend of mine that I met on Instagram. He is a fan both of this podcast and of my YouTube channel, and we chat pretty much every day. And he wanted to send me a, a few watches that I've not experienced because um, he wants to see a review of them. And so he sent me three of his watches. And I, in exchange, loaned him a couple of my watches. I sent him the Black Dial Marlin and the Smith's PRS-29A. And the watches that he sent me was a cocktail time. I have never seen a Seiko cocktail time in the flesh. And I have to say, this watch is amazing looking. When you look at cocktail times, you could guess that those dials are absolutely brilliant. But until you see one in person, 
It, pictures don't really do them justice at all. Plus the crazy Seiko um, polishing. Man, that watch has some crazy wrist presence. So I'll be doing a review of that watch and in a future podcast, I want to discuss it in a little bit more detail. Tonight, I'm just going to kind of touch on it, but I've had fun today wearing that watch. I was wearing it earlier and it is just absolutely amazing. To me, the dial looks like some kind of crazy like dragon skin, like uh, dragon scales and stuff. It just looks so cool. The hands are brilliant. Uh, Pretty much everything about that watch is absolutely amazing. And I think in the future, I may have to get a cocktail time. Now, one of the, there's a couple reasons that, that I haven't actually gone for a cocktail time yet. And I've probably mentioned these in the past. Uh, but one reason is the date window. I always try and hunt for watches that don't have dates on them. And the second one is the size. I love the mid-century style of the watches, but they're definitely modern sized. And so when I encountered the Marlin, I went with that instead. But seeing one of these in the flesh, you know, I might actually try out one of the ladies' cocktail times because they look identical, but they're essentially a 34 millimeter watch. And I would love to see the crazy cocktail time aesthetic in a full-on mid-century sized watch. That would be absolutely amazing. And I could probably live with the date window. It's executed really well. It actually looks like part of the watch's design. It's so great. And for example, the one that I have in my possession now, it has a a dark date uh, display. So it's white on black with a nice uh, frame around the date window. It actually looks like part of the watch's design. A lot of times I feel that date windows kind of look like an afterthought. Like someone designed the watch, designed the dial, and then realized, oh, we forgot to put the date window in there. Well, let's cut a square in the dial and and call it good. But yes, these watches are amazing. He also sent me a Casio of his, and this one is really cool because it has kind of a pearlescent uh, dial on it or face on it. So it's kind of a white color, but it has like a pearly... Uh, texture to it. I haven't worn this watch yet or the other one that he sent and so I haven't really looked at him terribly closely just yet. I was really excited about the cocktail time so I decided that tomorrow I'll explore the other two but today it's cocktail time. And the third watch that he sent is a great vintage watch. Oh it's just amazing. And I'll touch on this one probably in the next episode as well. I'll go into more details about it. And, uh, but yeah, I'm pretty excited about these three watches. I'll be doing, uh, YouTube reviews of, of all three of them. And thank you so much for allowing me to experience these. All right. The final segment of this podcast is going to be something completely different. We're going to explore the Longines Heritage Collection. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull up their website and we're going to explore the watches that we encounter there. And I'll discuss each of them and kind of go over their stats and some of my impressions, my thoughts on the watches. So let me fire up their site. 
All right, so I navigate through their different collections and arrive at the Heritage Classic Collection. So the first two watches that you encounter, if you go to this page, is a sector dial design. One of them is on a bracelet and one of them is on a leather strap. And this is the Longines Heritage Classic sector dial. Nice uh, creative name for that. So let's pull up one of these. All right, so this dial is kind of a charcoal looking dial. It is really cool looking though. It has crosshairs on it and there's a ring around the edge and that is kind of sectioned off too. So the indices block that off in our sections and there's numeric indices at the 12, three and six. And then also at the six is a sub seconds dial and it also has cool like sector dial outlines to it. And I think it was a Dan Henry that that same friend that lent me his three watches was sending me pictures of just today. I think that this looks nearly identical to that, if I remember correctly. Although in this one, it doesn't have the leaf hands, uh, but it, it has stick hands on it. Um, but this is a really, really cool looking watch. It retails for 2000 so it's kind of up there. And this entire collection, if I remember correctly, is kind of a notch up in price from other Longines watches. The case size is 38 and a half millimeters. So it's sub 40, which is pretty cool. The movement type is automatic. Um, the dial colors listed is black, but I think maybe the texture that's on it catches the light and kind of makes it look charcoal-y. Um, let's see if we have any more details here. Okay, it has a sapphire crystal and the lug width is 19 millimeters. It's 11 millimeters thick. So it's a kind of thick-ish and it has odd lugs, which um, I think is a Longines thing because my Dolce Vita also has 19 millimeter lugs and that is super annoying. That watch is such a pain to try and find straps for, especially given how picky I am because for that watch, I would like to get sort of a thinner strap, although the watch is a little bit on the thick side, kind of like the Americane, which it is an homage of. So the watch kind of is rounded, right? It rounds up from the lug and then comes back down to the other lug. And the crystal follows that, which is absolutely amazing. So it distorts and catches light all crazy but the watch is thicker, so I probably shouldn't be looking for thinner straps, but nevertheless, I am at least avoiding, um, I'm at least avoiding the really, really thick straps, but it's super tough finding straps that I like for it. The selection is kind of limited. I could go for like a bespoke strap for it, and that might be an option down the road, but we'll see. All right, so the next design that we encounter on their site, let's pull it up so I can see it a little bit larger because the indices kind of blend into to the dial a little bit. This is the Silver Arrow, 
and it has what appears to be a creamish dial, and the indices look like they're silver. The hands are pretty cool. They're, um, eh, I'm trying to remember what that shape is. They're not Dauphine because they, they get narrow again right before the center there, but they're kind of pointed. Um, yeah, spear hands maybe? I don't recall what they're called. Or spade hands? Something like that. And the indices are batten markers, but they're not like Bauhaus thin. They're just like square indices. The new or the 12 o'clock, 3, 6, and 9 are longer than the others. And there is a track around there. It looks like it's just uh, dot indices or like little tiny marks. But it's in a slightly lighter than the rest of the dial band, which is kind of cool looking. The case shape is really sleek and elegant. Let's see its profile here. It looks pretty thin. Oh, and from this view, this is really cool. The indices have grooves cut into them. So the 12, 3, 6, and 9, the grooves go lengthwise. And the other indices, they go crossways. And they're just little tiny lines etched into them. And it almost looks like... It looks like it has a box crystal, so it's kind of hard to tell if the minutes track that's on the outside is actually inset more than the rest of the dial. It kind of distorts there, so it's tough to tell. This watch has a 38.5 millimeter case. Oh, let's back up to the price. It is $2,000. And this is also an automatic. Let's look some more at the dimensions. It is 9.9 millimeters thick, so it is thinner than the previous one. And this one also has 19 millimeter lugs. So thanks a lot for that, Longines. Why? Uh. So we look at the back, and there's a cool rocket etched into there with uh, three stars. Uh, I'm wondering if this is named after that particular uh, jet or rocket. I'm not sure because we're just perusing through the site and I haven't actually researched any of these. I may have to revisit this collection and go into uh, far more detail and learn more about them. All right, so the next one that I encounter is the classic chronograph. And this is pretty cool. It's not a panda dial, but it is a tuxedo dial. The chronograph complications are side by side, and there's a band around the outside that has, what, uh, tachometer indices on it, maybe, or markings on it. There's square pushers there. The dial is a cream color, which is really cool. This is super vintage and awesome looking. I love it. And they put it on a strap with those cool vintage stitches. Just the two stitches on the sides right up by the lugs. And this is $3,000. It has a 40 millimeter case. It is an automatic. So I'm guessing this one's going to be pretty thick. Looks like it has a box crystal from the distortions in the profile picture or, you know, uh, angled picture there. All right. So again, the 19 millimeter lugs. 
it is 13.6 millimeters thick. So yeah, it's pretty thick, but that's what you would expect from a mechanical chronograph. But I'll tell you what, that dial is just gorgeous. And this has the leaf style hands, the um, seconds hand or the chronograph seconds, whatever you would call that, is blued. So are the hands on the subdials. And that just looks absolutely amazing. Next up, we have the tuxedo. This one is sweet. So this also has a cream dial on it, but around the edge where the numeric indices are, it's black, therefore it's tuxedo. It has a sub-seconds above the six. The hands are uh, sword hands, and they have loom in them. The indices are the same cream color as the dial. It looks like it's fairly small. I don't think it is. I think it's sized just like the others. It looks like the case is a little bit rounded, which is pretty cool. And I think it has a box crystal. This watch actually looks quite a bit like a piece that I saw on eBay that I almost uh, pursued. I put in a bid for it, but decided I was only going to stick with my max bid. I wasn't going to increase it. But that watch was 32 millimeters, like the A11, and it looked pretty sweet. It had a cream um, or salmony cream colored dial like this piece that I'm looking at here with the black band around it. This goes for $2,000. It is 38 and a half millimeters, and it is 11.65 millimeters thick. So I guess it's not as thin as I thought, but with that rounded case, um, it might wear a little bit thinner than it actually is. And once again, 19 millimeter lugs. All right, so we're getting down there. We'll look at a couple more watches and call it good. So what do we have next? Okay, so we're gonna look at the flagship heritage. This watch is pretty amazing looking. It has Dauphine hands, it has a cream dial, and gold tone indices, and the hands are also gold tone. There is a minutes track right on the inside of the batten markers, and they're just tiny little dashes. So it's really subtle, but it almost gives it kind of, um, Kind of like, uh, like, you know how tuxedos have that band around the edge there? It kind of divides the dial like that in a subtle way. And it has a date complication at the 6. And I think, I find that troubling there because it reminds me of the Dolce Vita. The Dolce Vita has a silver dial, but it has a date complication that is white. And this one has the cream dial and the date complication is also white. It does have a nice, really thin frame around it. Looks painted, it's not an applied frame or anything like that, but let's look at its profile a little bit. It has kind of a cylindrical case, but a rounded bezel that kind of rounds into the crystal. It's a pretty narrow bezel. 
the lugs on here are very geometric. They're kind of like tapered blocks, tapered squares that come out of there. They don't curve at all. Very kind of Bauhaus-ish lugs. This one retails for 16, almost 1700. The case size is 38 and a half millimeters. Uh, let's see. The thickness is 10.3 millimeters. Uh, the same odd lugs, 19. Uh, and, and it has a screw down case back. Uh, it is an automatic. And it just, it looks really cool. That cream dial with the gold indices is very, very elegant. It's a nice looking piece. The last one that I want to look at is the Heritage 1945. This one has almost like a canvas kind of texture to the dial. And it is darker than cream. Um, I think you may still be able to call it a cream color. Let's see what it has. It lists the dial color as copper. Okay. Uh, it's very light, so it's not what you would typically picture copper being. Let's look at the profile. But yeah, it's kind of a metallic, um, like a dark cream metallic dial there. It has the leaf hands and they're blued. It has a really nice sub-seconds. And it doesn't even touch the indice, the six, the six o'clock indice there. But it has really cool um, long batten markers in between the numbers which are at even positions all the way around it. That's pretty cool. And the little hand there is also blued. The indices on the dial itself, the primary ones, are the even markers. So 12, 2, 4, 6. In between them are applied dot indices, which is pretty cool. And there's a very subtle minutes track around them. Uh, these are just numeric indices in a nice straightforward font. Almost kind of Bauhaus-y font, actually. And this retails for $1,800. It has a 40 millimeter case. It's an automatic. And it looks a little thick. Yeah, 12 millimeters thick. That is pretty thick-ish. Um, I mean, maybe not. In the picture, it looks pretty thick, though, probably because the case has flat sides to it, so it's very cylindrical. But the lugs curve out of it nicely. I mean, they they curve right flush into it on the sides. That's pretty cool. Uh, so let's see. It's a 40 millimeter, 12 in height, and it actually has 20 millimeter lugs. So this one actually has lugs that will make it nice and easy to swap your straps on yeah it looks really cool very very classy uh, just like this whole collection every piece in here is very very classy looking and the the prices are a bit steep for Longines you know we had 3,000 a lot of 2,000s in here uh, there's another 3,000 but that's also a chronograph and the 19, nope, the flagship heritage, I think, is the cheapest one on here. Yeah. But these are really cool. Definitely peruse this collection. If you like these classy designs, um, classy designs like these pieces, 
You will definitely want to check that out. You've probably encountered them already, but if you haven't actually gone to their site and looked at the full lineup of them, definitely do so. And with that, I will wrap up this episode. It's been great exploring some of these pieces with you and discussing some of the updates that have been going on with my collection and uh, swapping watches with friends. And I'll go into more details on these watches in next week's episode and hopefully have a guest uh, in a few episodes after that or an episode or two. We'll find out. All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs>